This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to Raw Beauty Talks. I'm your host, Erin Trelore. Ready to peer behind the highlight reel and all those polished pictures of the world's biggest influencers and wellness experts, we're going to uncover what beauty, health, and wellness truly means in today's world. As someone who really struggled with disordered eating and negative body image, I became a health coach because I'm passionate about redefining health and wellness so that it's less about the weight on the scale and more about how we feel. Let's pull back the curtain for some raw beauty talks. Hi, Raw Beauties. Who's ready to talk about vaginas today? Go grab your water, your tea, your coffee, your wine, whatever it is that you're hydrating with, because today's episode is a goodie. We're diving into pelvic floor health with the self-professed queen of Kegels. If you are thinking about having kids at any point in your life, if you are currently pregnant, if you have been through labor and had a child, no matter how long ago that was, this episode is for you. You might be thinking, why are we talking about vaginas on the Robbie Do Talk podcast? I am all about bringing you tools that are going to support you in feeling well in your body, empowered in your body. And I want to talk about the things that sometimes we feel shame about as women so that we don't carry so much shame about it, so that we understand just how powerful and incredible our bodies are. I couldn't think of a better guest to bring on the show today to talk about all of this than Kim Vopney. Kim is a certified fitness professional who became passionate about spreading information on pelvic floor health after the birth of her first child. She's a passionate speaker, a woman's health educator, a mom of two boys, and a published author of her most recent book, Your Pelvic Floor. Kim and I are going to dive into a number of topics, including incontinence, prolapse, training for labor, how the 40 days after labor shape your next 40 years. She's going to show us how to do a proper Kegel, and I'm going to talk about the tool that supported me the most in preparing for labor. So yeah, let's just dive right in there for some box talk. Kim, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. It's really nice to to connect with you again. Okay, to start off with, how did you get into this line of work? How did you become the queen of Kegels? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not a job title I ever thought about when I was younger. <laughs> I actually wanted to be a dolphin trainer when I grew up, but um, this is a little different than that. So how it happened, <laughs> I saw in sex ed in grade six, they, were, they showed us about childbirth and I went home thinking, oh my God, I'm never doing that. But I looked at my mom differently and I said, okay, well, she did it and my aunts did it and my grandmas and, and they're still carrying on. But I kind of grew up with, I was famous for having, you know, I put stickers in books and I had signs everywhere saying, I'm never having a baby. And then I decided <laughs> that I wanted, wanted to have a baby. I want to start a family. I met my husband. Okay. So we're doing this. And I was talking to my midwives and said, you know, I've heard of perineal massage. What else I can do to avoid what I knew my mom had gone through. So my mom had episiotomy births. My mom had surgery for incontinence. She had chronic back pain. And so I viewed childbirth as kind of a destroyer of the body and wanted to make sure that I could have a different story. And I actually looked into having an elective cesarean, but decided I was going to have a vaginal birth. And part of it was my midwives. They had told me about a product called the Epino, which is a biofeedback device manufactured by a company in Germany. 
And I bought one. I used it. I had a good experience. I certainly credit my midwives. I credit that I was in a sideline birth position. Like there was things that I had done on top of just the epino, but I know that it played a role. And my son actually crowned sideways, which is the widest way. And, and I had no external tearing in it and abrasions. And my midwives even were like, wow, that's not common. You don't see that very often. So I contacted this company and said, hey, could I be a distributor? And I thought, you know, it'd just be a little side thing. And long story short, it turned into my main thing. In 2009, I was laid off from my corporate job and I had been building this little website and, and I thought, okay, here I go. And I was in this new like mompreneur world that I didn't even know existed. And and so that kind of is how it started. And, and it was working pr primarily with pregnant women, trying to introduce the concept of pelvic health as a prevention, like how we can prevent a lot of the things that happen in pregnancy and childbirth, that's a huge contributor to pelvic floor challenges. And then it morphed into working with people who already had problems like diastasis and incontinence and prolapse. And then it morphed into, as I was moving through different life stages, perimenopause and menopause. And I sort of said, okay, this conversation spans our entire life. The vagina coach piece came about four or five years ago. I was speaking to a group of women. My topic was how optimizing your pelvic health can make you a better mompreneur. And I came up on stage and at that point, everybody who had been a speaker was some sort of a business coach. And I got on stage and I cracked a joke and I said, well, now you have a vagina coach for your business. And it was just meant to be a joke, but all of a sudden it was this light bulb and it, it was like, I got to use this because up to that point, I had been the fitness doula because I had primarily worked with pregnant women and, and people. And, and that didn't really resonate so much with perimenopause and menopause, and especially people that had never given birth before. So vagina coach summed it up. That's how it happened. And it's... It's perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. I mean, you and the vagina, hand in hand, <laughs> supporting women at all stages of their life. It's incredible. Okay. Already, you've said a few things that I feel like are familiar to me having gone through childbirth, having grown up in the world of physiotherapy, understanding what a pelvic floor therapist is. I mean, I get all of this stuff, but I don't think a lot of people are aware of it because it's not talked about a lot in North America. I mean, we know that women in many areas of Europe, they're talking about pelvic floor health. This is something that's part of the medical health packages, pre and postnatally for sure, where they're, they're seeing physiotherapists, they're seeing women who are supporting them in strengthening their vagina, learning how to use the muscles properly, but that's not so common here. So talk to me a little bit about some of the things that you treat most commonly or that you work with women on? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Incontinence and prolapse are definitely the two most common. Pelvic pain could come in there as well. And a lot of people will come to me saying, I've been told I have a hypertonic or an overactive pelvic floor or non-relaxing. There's all sorts of different terms, which can be a contributor to pain. But incontinence for sure, prolapse definitely Incontinence is the involuntary loss of urine. So when urine leaves your body when you don't want it to, which most people would say, I don't want it to unless I'm sitting on the toilet, <laughs> that's called incontinence. And there's a couple different types. There's stress urinary incontinence, which people would call peezing or sneeze pee. So that's where you exert some sort of a force. You lift something, you push something, you stand up, you cough, laugh, sneeze something, and a little bit of urine will leak out. Then you have urge incontinence, which is where you'll be going about your day and then all of a sudden something triggers you and you like, I have to go to the bathroom and I got to get there and I, it's like urgent and often people don't make it. And sometimes that can be a full release of the bladder. 
You can have a combination of the two, which would be considered mixed incontinence. And you can also have anal incontinence. So when you leak gas or stool, which is less common, but certainly more life altering than urinary incontinence. Prolapse is where the bladder, the uterus and or the rectum shift out of their optimal position and they can start to bulge into or in the case of the uterus descend into the vagina. So most people have heard of incontinence and many people, it's very common, statistically, you know, 30, 40 ish percent of people have incontinence. I actually think it's more, but that's what the statistics tell us. Statistically on prolapse, something that hardly anybody really knows about over 50% of women have some degree of prolapse, one in two. Wow. It's so, and there was even a, um, one statistic I saw that was 83% of people have a prolapse at six weeks postpartum. 50% of that 83% have a stage two or greater. So prolapse is graded based on how far down, like how close to the entrance to the vagina is that bulge. So statistically, prolapse is actually more common than incontinence, but it is something that not a lot of people, myself included, like I, I didn't know everything about the pelvic floor when I gave birth, but I knew about incontinence. I knew about preventing tearing. I knew a few things. And it wasn't until years later that I heard the term prolapse and I was like, what's a prolapse? And, and then now recognizing how, how incredibly common it is. I didn't have any idea about prolapse until my mom was going in for surgery some at some point in her 60s and did not realize how common it is that women end up having surgery to fix a prolapse. And there's so much that you can do to prevent having to have surgery for this. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals for a second. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that really don't help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversation, and Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teachings so you're ready to practice what you learned in the real world. If you're heading to another country, Country anytime soon, start using Babbel a few weeks before you go to learn basics like how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while you're away. So fun. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. That's spelled B A B B E L dot com slash talks. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line founded by the fabulous Jennifer Aniston. Jen got tired of the same old struggle we all face, choosing between hair products that work and ones that are actually good for us. With Lola V, that dilemma is history. We all put our hair through the ringer. That's why it's crucial to have products that not only repair the look of the damage, but also shield your locks from future harm. Enter Lola V's bestsellers, the Glossing Detangler and the Perfecting Leave-In Conditioner. They're your hair's new best friend. 
friends. For a limited time, you get 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com. Just use the code rawbeautytalks at checkout. Lolavie is all about naturally derived plant-based goodness, no silicone, sulfates, parabens, or gluten, and of course, cruelty-free and vegan. That's 15% off your order at lolavie.com with promo code rawbeautytalks. You can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Tell them I sent you over. How would you know that you have prolapse? What are the symptoms that you're seeing? So that's another challenge because some of the symptoms you would never equate, like low back pain is a very common symptom. So what do people do when they have back pain? They go to chiro or massage or acupuncture or other types of physio. Sometimes people will say, I feel like there's something in my vagina or sometimes I feel like I'm sitting on a ball. Some people might say they have difficulty inserting a tampon or that their tampon gets pushed out. Some people say, you know, I'm constipated could be one. I have difficulty starting the flow of urine. I don't feel like it empties completely. Uh, Some people might have some discomfort with sex. Like they might say, I just feel like like if if they have a male partner, they say, I feel like my partner's hitting something. Or, you know, they just kind of feel like there's something there in the way almost. So those would be some of the more common symptoms. And obviously, as you carry on through life, if you're not strengthening the pelvic floor to start to lift that, then it could get worse over time. And those symptoms might become more noticeable, more noticeable, more noticeable. Totally. Yeah. So prolapse, it can just happen. Like suddenly some people in an extreme heavy lift or in childbirth, in a lot of cases, it's something that is gradually worsening over time. And early stage prolapse is sometimes asymptomatic, often asymptomatic. Then people just have no idea until all of a sudden they are like, I wipe and I felt a bulge or I saw something, it just shows up. And yeah, you're right. It's not screened for, which I get very angry about that. And also, there's no real information provided to people about preparing for birth, optimizing birth, pushing strategies, postpartum recovery, and then return to fitness. And with surgery, what I find challenging also is that the medical system, at least here in Canada where we are, is great. We've got free healthcare, but people will often have waited. We have stats that show women typically wait on average six or seven years before they seek help for a pelvic floor challenge. And then they'll typically go to their family doctor. The family doctor will then typically refer them on to a specialist, so a gynecologist or urogynecologist, which there's a bit of a wait for that. And we need the, we need all of these people on our healthcare team. We absolutely need them. But a first line of defense, in my opinion, people would be so much better served by pelvic health physio. And they can decide if potentially surgery may be in their future. But even if surgery is chosen or needed, all of the conservative approaches, in my opinion, actually boost the outcomes of surgery. So pelvic floor exercise, pelvic floor physio, potentially a pessary. Like there's so many things that we can be doing that could potentially even maybe people don't need surgery or choose not to have it now because their symptoms go away, right? And I'm so excited to actually talk about some of the tools and practices that women can be doing right now to support their pelvic floor health. So we are going to get to that because as you know, I always love to leave you with tools and this is the perfect thing that you can be doing literally as you're listening. Okay. So we've talked about incontinence and prolapse. I feel honestly 
Like this is just something, especially with the incontinence, that we feel like it's kind of normal that you just pee yourself a little bit after having kids. Even this weekend, I was on a girl's trip and we were, we had music pumping, we were dancing and we were killing ourselves laughing because one of my girlfriends who has two kids started taking toilet paper and she was shoving it into her underwear and was like, I can't dance like this anymore without peeing myself. And we were all howling and, and nodding our heads like it's true. And yet at the same time, it's like, we don't have to accept just peeing ourselves for the rest of our life. It's normal, but it's not the way that it has to be. Exactly. So it, it is something that is super, super common. And the unfortunate piece is we have media that says that it's just part of being a woman or the pads companies have all these messages about it's okay, carry on with your dancing or whatever it is and just put your pad on and everything's going to be fine. Or you can get on the back of a motorcycle with a handsome man or, you know, and I I just kind of think like, (laughs) you know, I'm pretty sure if they, if these women actually knew that there was something they could do to completely eliminate the problem, they would choose that over putting a pad on. Pads can play a role, but they, it should be temporary. And I wish that the companies would advertise this. It's a temporary band-aid, really, Mm -hmm. that you can use Mm -hmm. while you're seeking treatment. Pelvic floor physio has an 80% cure rate, cure rate for incontinence. So we're, we're fed messages, whether it's from media or whether it's maybe we've been dismissed by healthcare providers. I hear that all the time. Maybe it's because we've been told from our moms or aunts or whoever, other women in our lives who have said, oh, yeah, well, that's what happens after you have babies. It's not true. We do not have to accept pads as our destiny. There's a very small percentage of people who may have nerve damage or spinal cord injuries who that's going to be a strategy they're going to need to implement for their life. But for the majority of people, it is something that we have absolute control over And you just need to know what to do, but then you actually need to do it. So it does require effort. And that's the other piece that we are very much driven by quick fixes. And can I pop a pill? Can I, you know, nobody wants to really put in the work. It requires not a lot. It's like maybe 10 minutes a day. That's it. It's not a huge amount of effort, but we need to know what to do and we need to make the commitment to do it. Otherwise it won't change, right? It is really important because I know a lot of people who are tuned in right now are really interested in health and wellness and feeling good in their body. And so what I see for a lot of women, especially postnatal after having babies, is that they feel this pressure to get back to their workout routines, to get back to their bodies. And we're, we're pretty good about implementing that pressure on ourselves to get back to our exercise routines and If we do that without really paying attention to and ensuring that we have that stability in our pelvic floor, all of these issues can become a lot worse. And as you said, pelvic floor physio, which is something that most communities will have a pelvic floor physiotherapist that you can connect with. It's a physiotherapist who is going to be really familiar with that pelvic floor muscle and that whole area down there. They can do an internal exam or even just support you externally if you're more comfortable with that, but they're going to give you exercises in the same way that a physiotherapist would give you exercises if you had tennis elbow or if you kinked your neck while you were working, but specifically for that pelvic floor muscle. So I always feel that it is so important to go see a pelvic floor physio if you can, 
before having your baby and then again after you have your baby around, would you say six week mark or 12 week mark somewhere in that time frame? Yeah, I usually say eight weeks. So my absolutely totally 100% agree with you. If we could be promoting pelvic health physio in pregnancy, that would go a huge, huge way to preventing a lot of the challenges and helping optimize birth for sure. And then what I tell people is to pre-book an appointment with your pelvic floor physio at eight weeks from your due date. And that allows for a little bit of leeway. Obviously, very few people give birth on their due date. So if you're due September 1st, then November 1st, you're going to have a pre-booked appointment. And part of the reason for that is pelvic floor physios are very busy. They have four to six week wait lists. And that initial healing time, like the initial six weeks is superficial healing that's happening from, from a you know, after birth. And not to say you're not going to be doing anything in there. We'll talk about that in a second. But when that appointment is pre-booked, you don't have to then wait an additional four to six weeks. You don't have another thing on your to-do list when you're now learning how to breastfeed. You're not sleeping as much. You have all the hormone fluctuations that are happening. You're learning how to be a mom. You know, all these things. If you've got it pre-booked in the calendar, it's there. All you need to do is just get yourself there. And um, mm. so that's the the time somewhere between six and eight weeks postpartum is when I recommend that that postpartum visit happen. Okay, great. So the pelvic floor visit visit about eight weeks postpartum, I also went before having my baby and found out that I had what you called, I think, a hypertonic vagina. She's like, you have an uptight vagina. Are you an uptight individual? And I was like, yes, slightly. And she's like, your vagina is the same. So in childbirth, if you have a really uptight pelvic floor, it's going to be harder for you to release when you need to release. So she taught me some exercises to support me and also letting go down there, which I think both of my kids, I was lucky enough and I recognize you can do all the things in the world and have a completely different birth than I did. But for both of my babies, unmedicated, no tearing, they were huge. They were both like nine pounds plus. And all of these tools that we're going to talk about today supported me and my body in being able to do that. Again, really recognizing like if you go whatever route you needed to take to get that baby out, I am here for it. But I put a lot of work into as well, the breath work, relaxing my uptight vagina, (laughs) doing the Kegels, all the things, right? Using the EpiNo, which was unreal. And I want you to tell everyone about that. So Kim... I I want to share some tools with everybody for vaginal health. Let's dive into the pre and postnatal phase to start with. I view birth as a physical event like a marathon, like a triathlon, like a mountain climb, whatever. It's a physical event that we would benefit from training for. In fitness, you look at, okay, if I'm going to run a marathon, then I train for that by running and I run progressively longer distances over a period of time. I have a tapering off period before the race where I'm going to rest, build up my energy stores. I go and I race, I perform. And then there's a intentional recovery period afterwards so that this is an event that I could potentially do again. So I view birth very much the same way. And I look at, okay, if what am I going to be doing in birth? So there's different birth positions. It's a dynamic event. It's not something ideally that we take laying down, so to speak. So what are the more optimal birth positions? What are ways that help the muscles around, like the hip muscles, the inner thighs, all the muscles that work in conjunction and kind of collaboration with the pelvis, how can we optimize them? And then 
we take those positions and those movements and we put them into our workouts. So we are doing workouts and exercise that really is birth specific. It's training us for labor. So that's one thing that I, that I recommend. And we also benefit from learning about what the pelvic floor is and seeing a pelvic floor physio to understand what our muscles would benefit. So the pelvic floor is a group of muscles. There's three layers. First two layers are primarily responsible for closing openings, and the third layer is primarily responsible for organ support. And when we have an understanding of how those muscles contract and lift and let go, so you mentioned that you were more uptight, so yours were a little bit more non-relaxing, which is very common, then if we're trying to give birth through muscles that are non-relaxing, that's a challenge because we birth is an elimination and we need that relaxation, that, that allowing, that surrendering to happen. So when we are familiar with that and understand that about our bodies and know what exercises and breath work to practice, then we're building this fantastic birthing body, so to speak. And then, you know, ideally in the, the weeks before it, the focus really becomes on relaxation. And a lot of people ask me about Kegels and pregnancy. So yes, I believe Kegels play a role if you're doing them correctly. But the emphasis is really on the let go, on the release, on the expansion. So I teach Kegels with breath where you're inhaling and that's where the pelvic floor is lengthening. So when we can learn how to blossom our vulva and expand between the sit bones and then not actually do the Kegels in the last few weeks, don't do the activation portion of Kegels, just let the body become more familiar with relaxing and allowing. Then we give birth and then I adopt practices that many cultures use around the world that fall under the umbrella of mother roasting or mother warming. And those practices believe or those cultures believe that the body has opened for pregnancy and birth. So there's been an expansion in the abdominal wall. The two recti, our six-pack muscles, have moved away from the midline. All of the connective tissue has stretched. The pelvis has widened. The muscles, even if you've given birth by cesarean, the muscles in the pelvic floor have held on to a weight over that, you know, an ever-increasing weight over the period of nine months, and they may have a little bit of stretch that has happened. If you have a cesarean birth, you've got an opening in the abdominal wall. So there's a lot of this kind of opening. And that in Chinese medicine afterwards leaves you prone to wind or cold. So they want to close the body. And it's wrapping, it's warm soups, it's healing foods, collagen rich, easy to digest, things that support that initial healing. And adding in the element of muscle recovery. So there's an, a, a built-in belief that those first 40 days are what set us up for the next 40 years. And rest is a component, but there's also gentle movement that comes in. So movement that retrains the function of that pelvic floor. So coordinating it again with the breath. So making sure people understand what happens to the pelvic floor on the inhale, what happens on the exhale, and then adding on voluntary like Kegel exercises to support circulation, blood flow, nerve growth factor production with the intent that once we go to our appointment at six or eight weeks postpartum, we've already begun the process of restoring and retraining our core function. And we're now in the progressing back to fitness. And what I find, especially in North America, we are driven by social media you know, the belly over pregnancy has been 
revered. We show it off. We compare it to fruits and vegetables. We wear tight clothing to show how pregnant we are. And as soon as we give birth, that same exact location on our body becomes a place of shame. And now we are doing everything we possibly can to not look pregnant as fast as possible. And that includes returning to fitness, I believe, too soon. Not to say we're not doing anything. We are absolutely being active in our recovery. But when we're loading the system with activities that a lot of people pursue with the intention of not looking pregnant or getting their body back or becoming strong again, when the pelvis hasn't had the time to heal and retrain and rebuild its optimal function, those loads can be, we don't manage them very well. And then that's where we see incontinence may show up or prolapse or chronic back pain. So I think that looking at birth differently than we do, being intentional with our preparation with our recovery, and then having a gradual return, the six-week green light, in my opinion, is irresponsible. It's the green light to go to your pelvic floor physio. It's not a green light to go back to normal or what you were doing before, which typically equates to, I'm going to go to something harder than I was doing before because now I have this weight to lose. Okay, let's talk about the EpiNo right now because this was a game changer for me. This little device that basically it's like a balloon that blows up to about eight centimeters, which is the average size of a, of a baby's head as it's coming through the channel. And so I'll let you describe it because you'll do a much better job. And then I'll tell everyone about my experience with the EpiNo. <laughs> Yeah. So this was what got me into the world of pelvic health. My midwives told me about this product. I bought one, had a great experience, contacted the company, became a distributor, rest is history. And unfortunately, it's now no longer available in North America. It's not? No. I'll tell you that story in a second. But so you can still get it in Europe. You can still get it in Australia. If you happen to know, if you're there, fantastic. If you know somebody who lives there, they can get one for you. I highly, highly recommend it. Yeah, it's it, it's a silicone balloon. It's attached to a little tube that goes to a gauge that looks kind of like a blood pressure gauge and has a little pump on it. You insert it into the vagina, deflate it, close up the little valve. You pump it up a little bit until... So there's two phases that you work it. You can use it for Kegel exercises. So you pump it up just a little bit and then you would use it to contract, lift and let go again. So you do your Kegel exercises. And when you do that against the balloon, it registers on the gauge. So you can see the gauge moving up. You can see it coming back down. So for somebody like you, but for people that have overactivity or if they have an uptight vagina, they may not see much movement of the gauge either because they're already upregulated and they try to do a Kegel and there's not much more room to go. Or they may find that they can maybe Kegel, but gauge doesn't actually come down as as often. So it's a good tool for understanding where you may need to work on, like what aspect of Kegels you may need to work on. And then from a birth prep perspective, you also use it for perineal massage. So perineal massage is a technique used. You can use it with your hands or you can your partner can do it for you. People think of it as a way to prevent tearing. I think it's more of a feedback mechanism to learn how to relax the pelvic floor muscles, which can in turn play a role in preventing or reducing the likelihood of tearing. But with the EpiNo, you now have the balloon inserted, you've done your Kegel exercises, now you leave it inflated, but you now start to add, like, can I add a little bit more inflation so that I feel some gentle stretch or some discomfort, a little bit of pressure? And what that's doing is it's introducing sensations that are trying to, as closely as possible, mimic what you'll experience during birth. And then you need to learn how to surrender to that, how to relax, how to let go of that uptightness, so to speak. 
you do that for about 10 minutes. And over that period of 10 minutes, ideally, you feel that sensation sort of lessen, and then you could potentially pump it up a little bit more. So you're always kind of hovering on that place of discomfort. And it's really teaching you how to surrender to discomfort, because most of the time we kind of, we kind of want to withdraw, we tighten up, that's not going to serve us when we're birthing. So if we can learn how to do that, it teaches our pelvic floor how to respond to labor and birth. And it played a huge role in my birth. It's done the same for you. Health Canada implemented a new medical device licensing procedure that was a lot more costly and had a lot more hoops to jump through than what was in place before. And a lot of the smaller manufacturers said, well, you know, I have to do that for other countries as well. And now for this one here, it's even more expensive and more hoops, and it's just one market. So they chose to leave the Canadian market. No, this tool, I think, saved me. I was so nervous about whether I was going to be able to handle the pain of pregnancy, whether or not I could do it. So for me, this to me was my ultimate training tool. I mean, you just would never go, my husband's training for Ironman right now. You'd never go into an Ironman race without any preparation. And we all know, ladies that labor is like harder than an Ironman. So we got to get in it to win it. You need a vagina coach is what I'm telling you. (laughs) (laughs) Would you be able to teach us how to do a Kegel properly? Yes, of course I can. So you can do Kegels anywhere. Some people experience them for the first time better when they're lying down where they don't have the influence of gravity. And there are other people who benefit from the influence of gravity. So let's start sitting because that's where you and I are right now. So sit wherever you are, wherever, whatever is underneath you, whatever sit you are sitting on, I want you to kind of rock back and forth and see if you can feel the two bony points in your bum. So your sits bones, those are attachment points for your pelvic floor, as is the pubic joint in the front and our tailbone. So if we now, if we tuck our bum under and kind of sit backwards, we're kind of moving now more towards the tailbone. Okay, and then if we come back up on the sit bones, and then if we were to kind of really arch our back and go forward, now we're closer to our pubic joint. So those are the four attachment points. It's like a diamond shape. So you can kind of in your mind visualize this diamond and keep those that awareness of those sit bones uh, if you can. And also bring your attention to your vulva. So ideally, if you're sitting in what would be considered a neutral pelvis, you will feel your vulva and your two sit bones on the surface of the chair. If you don't, then nod your pubic joint a little more forward so that you can feel like you feel your your vulva on the surface of the chair. And now just close your eyes and bring your attention to that diamond shape. So the pubic joint tailbone and the two sit bones on the side and your vulva now is on the surface of the chair. I want you to take a breath in and feel where the breath goes in your body. Ideally, we feel an expansion through the ribs, an expansion through the belly, and on the surface of your chair, you should feel a blossoming, kind of a fullness of your vulva. When you inhale, we're releasing tension. We're allowing air to come into the body by expanding the ribs, softening and expanding the belly, and blossoming the vulva. So the pelvic floor in that blossom state is in its relaxed state. And now on the exhale, purse the lips on your face and blow. So we're talking about different lips now. (sighs) Lips on your face. You're going to blow as if you're blowing through a straw. And what you should feel is like that blossom sort of closes. You feel your belly naturally just draw inwards. So inhales are about the diaphragm coming down and then asking the ribs to expand, the belly to expand, and the pelvic floor to expand so that air can come into our body. Okay? 
And then on the exhalation, we want to get the stale air out. So the reverse happens. So now the pelvic floor contracts and lifts. The belly naturally comes in and that diaphragm moves up. And now that air expels the stale air. So then we inhale, expand, fresh air comes into the body. Then we exhale. And that's where that engagement happens and air, stale air leaves. Now, oh my God, am I supposed to be breathing like this all the time? Let me get to that in one second. Let me finish this one point. (laughs) So on the exhalation is where we add in that voluntary activation. So what people know of or think of as a Kegel Most people think of it as a squeeze, but it's actually, it's a bit of a squeeze, but it's also a bit of a lift. So I talked about how there's two layers, primarily two layers are primarily responsible for closing openings, third layer primarily responsible for the lift. So we need to work on both aspects. So inhale and expand, blossom your vulva, purse the lips on your face and blow gently. And now imagine picking up a blueberry with your vagina and your anus at the same time. Okay, so you close and lift. And then you inhale and you let the blueberry go. You put it back down. Okay. You might not like blueberries. That visual might not work for you. So let's think now. Inhale and expand. Blossom your vulva. Exhale. Think of sipping a smoothie through a straw with your vagina. And then inhale and let that go. Some people benefit from thinking of the pelvic floor like a jellyfish. So jellyfish on the inhale is softly floating. On the exhale, the edges of the jellyfish come together and propel up to the surface of your body or the water, and then inhale and soften your jellyfish. We have biofeedback with our own fingers. If we happen to have a partner, they have uh, fingers. If it's a male, they have a penis. All those things can be used as feedback. So insert your finger into your vagina and say, okay, I'm going to imagine picking up a blueberry. Can I feel a gentle hug of my finger, a gentle drawing up? Doesn't have to be like, you're not sucking it all the way in, but just a gentle (laughs) upwards movement. And then can I let that go? I have a video on my YouTube channel called The Core Breath. I have a bunch of different cues in there, but practice and see. Gold standard is to see your pelvic floor physio, but that's how you essentially do a Kegel. Now, you had one question. I'm going to add one little point and then come back to your question. Kegels work when they are done correctly. So that was a correct execution of a Kegel. You have to do them consistently. They're not a quick fix. And when you stop doing them, the benefits that you gain will start to subside. But one step further is if we take Kegels and we incorporate it into movement, exercise, like a bridge, like a squat, that trains our pelvic floor dynamically because things like incontinence, pressure from prolapse, They show up when we're lifting things, when we're pushing things, when we're exercising, when we're sneezing, coughing, right? So doing Kegels lying on the ground all the time or sitting at a chair all the time, better than nothing, but it doesn't necessarily train the pelvic floor to respond to the dynamics of life. Putting it into movement is really key. Now back to your question, should I be breathing like this all the time? Yes and no. I mean, we shouldn't walk around all day going, blossom my vulva, pick up a blueberry, blossom my vulva, <laughs> sip a milkshake. No, we shouldn't. That's not, that's not realistic. But that's what happens if we have a, an optimally functioning core and pelvic floor on every inhale, the pelvic floor lengthens on every exhale, it contracts. And it does this all day long as we breathe. Now, if we sit chronically hunched over a computer with our pelvis tucked underneath us, that relationship is hindered because of the positioning, the alignment of those two parts of the body. So posture and alignment play a role, but we shouldn't have to think about blossoming your vulva and picking up blueberries all the time. It should just happen automatically. But things like life, you know, falls on our tailbone, stress, childbirth, pregnancy, 
hormones, menstruation, trauma, all sorts of things can influence that group of muscles and can interfere with those mechanics, that alignment, that process, the synergy, so to speak. So it's a process. And Kegels are one form of pelvic floor exercise. There's lots of other ones. And this is all stuff that you teach through your online courses, one-on-one sessions, that kind of thing? I do one-on-one coaching with people. I also have online self-directed programs. And I I also do a monthly challenge. I do a pregnancy one called Birth Like a Boss and one for non-pregnant people called Buff Muff. And those are 28-day movement challenges. They're they're pelvic floor fitness, whether so it's birth specific, like labor and birth specific, or it's retraining the pelvic floor specific. So people that already have say incontinence or prolapse or who want to prevent it do buff muff. People who are pregnant would do the birth like a boss. Most people start doing one of the challenges. I love it. Buff muff. So good. Kim, one last thing. When we're talking about these Kegels and this beautiful exercise Should we be doing this for 10 minutes a day, maybe, where we mindfully do our Kegels? Is there a number that we want to be doing every day? Research would say three sets of 10, 10 10-second holds done three times a day. So that's what the research or the evidence would tell us is beneficial in terms of improving strength and endurance in the pelvic floor. That doesn't incorporate movement. That was just static Kegels. Change happens very quickly or quicker when we add in that movement piece. So we need to, we first need to do static Kegels to understand the, the dynamic, the movement, and then start to gradually add into, to exercise. And at, at that point, then you could do a dedicated 10 minutes of Kegels if you like with some movement or just bring it into what you're already doing for exercise. So that's what I do. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's a way more functional approach. I love it. We'll make sure that we link to your challenges, your courses, your programs. In the meantime, ladies, please don't be peeing yourselves. And remember, it is totally normal, but it doesn't have to be that way. There are so many proactive tools and steps that you can take. Where can people find you if they would like more information? Vaginacoach.com is my website. And basically, if you go to Google and put Vagina Coach in, you'll find me on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook. I have a private group on Facebook called Box Talk, where it's a safe place for people to come in and ask questions and learn from others. And so hopefully, some of the resources that I have will speak to you and give you some of the help that you need and get back to living your life to the fullest. Thanks so much for talking boxes with us today. (laughs) (laughs) Always good to see you, Kim. Yeah, nice to see you too. Thank you so much. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this week's episode. Please take a moment to rate, review, or follow on your favorite podcast app and share this episode with someone that you think could benefit. Join the Raw Beauty Talks community at Raw Beauty Talks. And remember, it's your story, your body, your mind, and your journey. So think about what resonates with you and leave the rest behind. I'll see you next week. Do you ever feel like you're struggling through motherhood? You're not alone. I'm Erica Jossa, host of the MomWell podcast, therapist and mom of three. Join me each Wednesday as I sit down with guests, including psychologists, pediatricians, psychiatrists, fertility specialists, lactation consultants, and more to unravel the myths of motherhood. With expert advice, practical tips, self-love, and some coping skills to help you along the way, you can become the mother you want to be. Listen to the MomWell podcast at momwell.com slash listen or on your favorite podcast platform.